0: We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 1, so if you have your Bible turn there, it'll be up on the screen as well. This question, did God really say you have to be holy, is really kind of a church way of asking this question. Did God really say you have to be perfect? This frames it in a way that's a little more difficult to understand, maybe a little more difficult to accept. Did God really expect holiness from his people? So the first thing we need to do as we ask this question is just read what the bible actually says by the way the absolute best place to go to to answer a question did god really say really the only place to go to to answer a question did god really say is to open up his word and so we're going to start just by reading 1 peter 1:16 1, we're going to read more in that passage here in a little bit but let's just start by reading this verse to see what it says it says since it is written you shall be holy for I am holy. Seems pretty clear there. God is saying and commanding, You shall be holy. Be holy. Holy. Where does this verse come from? Is this just one verse out of the Bible that we're handpicking? I've warned you guys not to do that in this series. So we'll ask ourselves a question. Are there other verses that say this? And as a matter of fact, you'll notice in 1 Peter 1.16, quotations around that phrase, you shall be holy for I am holy. You'll notice a phrase that Peter says, it is written. This tells us that Peter got this from somewhere. Where did he get it? This is actually a direct quotation from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. You can follow along as it says this in Leviticus 19:2, "Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, "You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy." Peter wants to make it exceedingly clear to his readers. That the Old Testament command for the people of Israel to be holy continues into the New Testament for God's people to be holy. Now, in case you're wondering, is this just Peter doing what I've warned you not to do and, and just handpicking a verse here or there to ask? Whether or not uh, this is truly what the entirety of Scripture says, I think it's important that we look at several other places. We're not going to turn to all these. If you'd like to take notes, I'll throw them up on the screen and you can look them up later. There are a number of places where we have a command for people to be holy. Leviticus 11, 44 and 45. Leviticus 20, verse 7 and verse 26. Leviticus 21, verse 8. Numbers 15, 40. Deuteronomy 23, 14. Deuteronomy 26, 19. Isaiah 62, 12. Ephesians one 1.4, Ephesians 5.27, 1 Peter 1.15, and 2.5, Revelation 20, verse 6. Do you think God wants you to be holy? Yes. Do you think that God has made it abundantly clear that we are called to be people who are holy? By the way, this isn't the only places we find a reference to holiness. All throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, God sets things apart as holy, whether it's an offering, an animal, or a, a produce. All throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, we see God anointing things with oil to make them holy and to set them apart as holy. We see the people of Israel being instructed to to mark certain locations as holy. The holiness of God is extremely important. And it comes to light over and over and over and over and over again. Now, I will say we need to define what holiness is because it's really easy for us to read the Bible and say, be holy, and us to all have our own definition of what we think holiness means. The, the word to be holy from the Hebrew Old Testament, and it's continued into the New Testament, this understanding, is to be marked off or set apart, distinct. And, and really, it's marked off and set apart in distinct imperfection. It is perfectly able to be in God's presence. Now, that doesn't mean that we are perfect people, but we are called to strive to live exactly how God wants us to live. One of my favorite questions to ask, if you've come to First Baptist for for any length of time, you might have heard me ask this question before. It's a trick question, and that's going to key you in on the answer you're going to give back to me. Right? The trick question I love to ask people is, do you have to be perfect to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Yes or no? Yeah, it's a trick question, so I tricked some of you guys. The answer is yes, you absolutely do. This is, this is soul-crushing a little bit, isn't it? Let me tell you where I get that from. All throughout the Bible, by the way, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 puts it really clear. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do You realize that to be in God's presence, you must be holy and perfect. Paul is going to write in Philippians, and that's what we're striving for. We're striving for perfection. Now, Paul admits we've not reached it. We've not attained it. I'm not there yet. But that is the goal with which we set ourselves about. Now the truth remains that you and I cannot be perfect in our own strength, in our own flesh and blood. The last two weeks we've talked about some very very difficult um, messages on on hell and about Jesus Christ and salvation. And and we've parsed out really clearly that, that we cannot be perfect and holy on our own. We need Jesus Christ to make us holy. But the fact remains that God really did say, you have to be holy. Hebrews 12, if you are not striving for holiness, you will not see God. So then the question isn't, did God say we have to be holy? But how in the world are we supposed to do that? I want to show of hands. This is interaction, and if you're sitting in your living room at home, I want you to physically do this as well. I want to show of hands if you have sinned at some point in the last month. In the month of February, if you sinned at some point. Right? Some of you guys aren't raising your hands because you're either really holy or because you just it's a Baptist church and we don't lift our hands. Most of us understand, right? Most of us understand we have all continued to sin. By the way, by the Bible's definition... We all live lives that show our unholiness. God told us, you have to be perfect and holy to have eternal life with me. You have to be striving and longing to know me in a way that that I created you to know me. There's this, this truth in this idea that we constantly fall short. I gave you a whole month, but my guess is if I'd asked you who has sinned in the last week, the same number of hands would have gone up. If I'd asked you who sinned in the last weekend, over the course of this weekend, my guess is a very similar number or the same number of hands would have gone up. My guess is if I'd asked you who has sinned this morning, those of you with children trying to get them to church this morning would have been the first ones to shoot your hands up, right? But all of us would acknowledge we fall short of this command that God gives us. So the question then isn't, did God say you have to be holy? It's all through Scripture. The question becomes, how do we do that? How do we live holy lives? How do we strive to live a life that God created us to live? We're going to expand our reading this morning. We're going to read more than just 1 Peter 1, 16. We're actually going to be reading verses 13 through 17. So I hope you still have that passage in front of you. And Peter gives us kind of an outline of how we are to live holy. Holy lives. Read with me in 1st Peter 1 starting in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout, your time, uh, throughout the time of your exile. First Peter is a great place to turn to to see what the holiness of God looks like. By the way, if you jotted down some previous passages, Leviticus 19 is another really good place to turn to to see what a, a holy life might look like. Actually, Leviticus 19 goes on to take the Ten Commandments and put them in some specific applications in how to live them out. It's a, a great picture of what it looks like to be holy. But this morning, I, I want to look at Peter's words to us, some principles on how we can live holy lives. And the first thing Peter tells us The first thing Peter wants us to know is the battle for holiness begins inward. He says, prepare your mind. As we we strive for holiness and pleasing God, as we strive to to live the way God has created us to live, Peter begins by saying, if it's not internal, if it's not up here first, it's never going to show itself in action. And so he tells us in verse 13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, and set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Too many times we picture holiness to be the actions that we do. And by the way, we're going to get to how those actions should look But you will never be holy if you do not have an internal idea of what it means to strive for holiness. Prepare your mind for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The battle for holiness does not begin on whether you do right or wrong. It begins on whether you have a faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, it begins... And in all reality, ends right here. That our hope is not on whether we live and do good works and good deeds. It's not whether we have a list of commandments that we keep or disobey. It really begins with whether or not, in our mind, we have set Christ apart as Lord. God, you are in control. I fear that there are too many Christians who live lives of guilt, who live lives of of depression, really? Because their lives do not reflect the holiness that God demands in Scripture. By the way, by your own account and my own account, all of us admitted, we fall desperately short of the standard that God has set us on. How many times, as believers in Christ, say, I just can't be good enough? I try so hard and I fail. I want so desperately to do what God wants me to do, and I find myself over and over again falling into sin. By the way, you're in great company. One of the most holy men who has ever lived actually wrote the most books of the New Testament, most of the letters of the New Testament. A man who had a radical transformation and literally took the gospel to almost every known place on earth at the time. A man in the Bible who we know as Paul, struggled with the same thing. As he's writing to the Romans, he says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things that I do want to do, those are the things that that I fail to do. Everything I do is backwards and wrong, and I'm struggling to live a life of holiness. But Paul understood what Peter is trying to teach us here. The battle for holiness doesn't begin with whether you're keeping rules or not. It begins with knowing in your mind and in your heart that Jesus Christ has given you Grace. He has revealed himself to you. Prepare your mind for action. Prepare your mind for those good works. Realize in our own sinful, fallen state, we're going to stumble. And it's not okay. Don't don't think it's okay, but it's forgiven. It's not good enough just to say everybody sins, we'll just keep doing it. No, we want to slay that. But But we're reminded that our hope is not in whether or not we do the good things. Our hope in holiness in perfection is whether or not we fully rely on the grace that is given to us. This morning, let us remind ourselves that your battle for holiness does not begin with whether you know the Ten Commandments and keep them. Your battle for holiness does not rely on whether your hope is in Leviticus chapter 19. And all the rules and laws in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy and the Old Testament. Your hope, your hope as you battle to live a life of holiness, begins in our own minds and our own hearts. It's eternal. Do you trust that God's ways are better than your ways? Do you know that God's will for your life will bring about better results than your will for your life? Do you understand that He is the one who makes you holy? To begin this morning, let's stop beating ourselves up as believers in Christ and rely and put our hope and our faith in our minds and in our heart on the one who has given us grace. Prepare your mind, Peter says, but secondly, he does tell us we're preparing our mind for action. If our minds are right with Christ, it will then produce a certain result, or it should And he reminds us then, after we've prepared our mind, to reject our former passions. Those things that you used to live by, you've got to get rid of them. Trust in God when he tells you that his will is better than your will. And all those former lusts, passions, and sins that you are under, you don't have to live in those passions anymore. Verse 14, he tells us just that. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The things you used to do that pulled you away from God, you have to separate yourself from. One of the best examples in all of Scripture of removing and rejecting former passions, resisting sin and temptation, is in the Old Testament book of Genesis, the story of Joseph. He's elevated to a position where he is in second of command of his master's house, a man named Potiphar. And and as he's controlling all the business of this wealthy man's house, his wife sees something in Joseph. He's young and he's handsome and she starts making advances towards him. And over and over again, he's pushing her away. But then there comes a point in time where that passion and that temptation, literally, the Bible says, grabs him by the cloak. This isn't, a just, this isn't just a pickup line anymore. This is, her, this is her literally trying to physically force Joseph into sin. And the picture we get is not just a, a slap of the hand. It's not just a push away. It's Joseph literally leaving that outer coat behind. And some Bible scholars believe streaking as far away from sin as he can. Think of the shame that that would have taken to resist that sin. One, the woman is coming on to you. Two, you're streaking through the master's house, running and fleeing for your, your spiritual life. This is the picture of resisting of sin. It doesn't matter the humility it brings on me. It doesn't matter the shame. It doesn't matter the temptation. I'm going to reject and put it aside. We all struggle with different areas of temptation. And I realize right here that my own temptations, I have to slay daily. Your temptations are different. Most of us, if we're honest, it does not take us very long to key in on the things that tempt us most. My guess is right now there's something or some things in your mind that you go, man, I know better. My guess is if you're like me, that those temptations are what Satan loves to use to tell you you're unholy and you're unworthy. Right now, can I commend to you, once you've prepared in your mind to put your hope and faith in Jesus Christ as the one who gives grace, to slay and reject those former passions. To to make a commitment right here while you're sitting in church, where you have a, a group of believers surrounding you, and it's easy to make that decision now, so that when it becomes hard and difficult, you're prepared and you're ready. Sometimes that means removing yourself from tempting situations. Maybe you know when I go here or I'm around this person, that temptation flares up and it requires you not to go alone or maybe to separate completely. I tell you right now, embracing holiness requires humility and sometimes shame. It requires removing things that pull us into temptation. It requires us outright rejecting the passions With which we know lead us away from God. Our pursuit of holiness requires an inward mental preparedness. It requires us rejecting the things we know tempt us. And then the third thing, it's to model God's holiness. Realize there is a template. We know what holiness looks like. We know all throughout the Old Testament what holiness looks like because God Himself is holy. And that's why these these middle verses, these key verses, verses 15 and 16, tell us twice. But as he who has called you is holy, God is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct in what you do. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We see a picture all through the Old Testament of the holiness of God. Do you realize that God was so holy and so perfect you could not be in his presence and survive? God cannot look upon unholiness or imperfection. It's impossible and goes against his nature. So much so that the presence of God rested in the Old Testament on a box. It was called the Ark of the Covenant. And on this Ark of the Covenant, on top, there was a seat, and the Israelites believed that that is where the presence of God sat. They didn't just believe it, God told them, This is where I am dwelling on this ark. And it was kept in a room in the temple behind thick curtains. Nobody could go in unless they were purified in a certain way. But there were a few times that their, their, their nation was raided by enemies. God's presence, because of Israel's disobedience, had left them. They were left unprotected. And an enemy would come in and raid the temple because God's presence had left. The enemy would take the Ark of the Covenant, would grab it, and haul it off. God's presence was no longer there. He had removed himself. But once the people repented, God returned and the nation of Israel would be successful. And it'd be time to bring the Ark of the Covenant home. And there are stories in the Old Testament of them bringing this holy place where God's presence is. Bringing it back to Israel. They've got it on these long poles because nobody dares touch the Ark. God is so holy that touching it would kill you. There's a story as you're carrying it back into Jerusalem on these poles, all of them careful not to touch, that that someone stumbles, someone gives just a little bit, and the ark begins to fall. And one of the soldiers carrying it reaches up to keep it from falling to the ground, touches it to save the ark of the covenant, the presence of God from falling to the ground. A noble act. And yet in his unholiness, touching the holy artifact where God's presence was, he dies on the spot. This is a picture of holiness we have in Scripture. Even our good deeds, even our noble deeds, even the things that we think are right compared to the perfection and holiness of God, they don't measure up. Honestly, when I read about God's holiness in the Old Testament, I, I throw up my hands and I give up. I can't do it. I think that is God, but a person could never do that until we get to the New Testament get to the New Testament and you see an individual, a human being, flesh and blood like you and I, who who did bleed and felt pain. A a man who, who walked this earth for 33 years, experiencing everything we've experienced as far as temptation goes, as far as pain, sorrow, grief, joy, you name it, he experienced it. In the person of Jesus Christ, we see the perfect example of what it looks like for a human being to be holy. Do you realize that Jesus came, yes, to die for your sins, ultimately so that you can have a relationship with him, but he also came so that you could know what it looks like for a human being to live holy, to remind you that when you're connected to the Father, you can live a holy life. God has set an example for us. He showed us how we are to live. Over and over and over again, we'll stumble. But can we remind ourselves to fix our eyes on the example? God calls us to model his holiness. Live like Christ lived. All of this boils out of God working in our hearts as we prepare our minds. I think the last thing also is less of a tangible thing to do on earth and back to our minds And if we're going to live holy lives, we have to focus on the eternal. We have to focus not just on this temporal life, but on the next. As a matter of fact, I think if we focus just on this temporary life, we'll see ourselves stumbling and we'll realize we never will make it. But Peter tells us to live with a certain attitude. Look in verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. This is one of these verses that if you're reading it, you may glance over a few words because we don't, we don't see those trigger words. But, but this word exile is, is a word, if you see anywhere in the New Testament, that ought to pique your interest, ought to immediately connect you to the Old Testament nation of Israel. That they lived for For hundreds of years in exile in Egypt. Then they lived for 70 years in exile in Babylon and Assyria and Persia. The nation of Israel knew what it meant to not be at home. Over and over again in the Old Testament, we see the nation of Israel compared to exiles. Your home is Israel and you're not there. And this is the picture that Peter is painting. Now, these are not Jewish people reading this letter. Most people believe that Peter is writing to Gentile Christians. So they would look at this word exile and think, what do you mean? I'm at home. I'm where I need to be. Peter reminds you, you are not home in Christ. This world that you are living in is not your ultimate dwelling place. This is your Egypt. This is your Babylon. Don't get comfortable. Don't think that this is the end. There will come a time when God ultimately calls us into eternity and bring us home. Conduct yourselves in a way that reminds you this place is not my permanent dwelling. But there is one in the future that God's going to call me to. Holiness is less about, God, am I doing things right now that are pleasing to you? And more about, God, am I doing things right now that are pleasing to you in eternity? Is what I'm doing right now going to To help grow me in such a way that I will see you face to face for all of eternity. Lord, am I living in such a way that when you return, when you come back, you'll look at me and say, Well done, come into my kingdom. Peter says, Live as exiles. Conduct yourselves with this healthy fear and reverence and awe, knowing that everything you do right now is temporary, but it's building to something. So when we fall and when we stumble, when we don't get it right, we remind ourselves that the temporary is in the flesh. But God has something perfect and eternal for me. So we beg for God's grace. We prepare our minds again. God, I've I messed it up again. Please forgive me, knowing he will. Slay our former passions. Start all over again. Say, God, I want to be what you've called me to be. And in the long run, God, you are making me more and more and more like you focus not on the temporary focus on the eternal what does it mean to be holy if god says you have to be holy what does it mean really it boils down to putting your faith and trust on an eternal god knowing that he makes you perfect that he makes you exactly who you were created to be knowing you'll stumble but god knows that there's a better plan it's constantly reminding ourselves, God, my hope is in you and not in myself. Maybe this morning as we get ready to have a, a prayer of invitation and sing a song of response. Maybe you're in here this morning saying, I have beat myself up for so long because I didn't think I was good enough. This morning, can you just praise God that he makes you holy? That He's the one who brings you where you need to be. Doesn't mean you have an excuse not to strive for it, but But praise be to God that our hope is in his grace and not in our works. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you that you are a holy and perfect God. Lord, we trust you because you always do what is right. Lord, we acknowledge that we fall short of that holy and perfect standard. Lord, forgive us because over and over and over again, we stumble and it feels impossible to be holy. Lord, we thank you that you have made a way for us to be perfect and holy through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that as we we seek you this morning, that you would allow us to put our faith and trust in your grace and not our works. It's in your name we pray, amen.